0: Turn with me this evening to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll read from verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And we're told if you were to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, that Paul writing the letter to young Timothy He explains to Timothy how he knows of the unfeigned faith that's in Timothy that's been passed down from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice or Eunice, however you want to pronounce it. And Paul tells Timothy, you have been given a gift from God and it is the faith, the office of faith. Stir up the gift that is in thee. And I ask you as a parent, and I look at myself as a parent, what way are we bringing up our children? Are we bringing them up with the things of the word? Are we bringing them up in a life of negativity? Are we telling our children that they're stupid and they can do nothing and they will amount to nothing? Or are we bringing our children up in the things of God, and the ways of the Lord, with positive notes telling them that they can do all things through the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. How are we bringing up our children? Timothy, brought up by his mother and grandmother, was a man of faith. Moses, now growing up, that faith, that teaching, was instilled in Moses from his parents, Israelite, Hebrews, who sent him away. And of course, we know he became, as it were, in brackets, Pharaoh's daughter. Do you know that when we read this portion of Scripture, and if I was to give a title, say I was to come to you with a sermon tonight, and it was of two words, and the sermon was, Choose Christ. Saying I'd come out into this pulpit tonight, and I was just get up to read the Scriptures and say, Choose Christ and walk away again and say, that's the sermon over. You would think, one, that I have taken leave of myself. You would think, two, that there has been something drastically wrong and I must make a quick exit. Or you would think, three, the word of God has spoken to me for I must choose Christ over everything. Choose Christ. In our reading... Moses may be a man of the law. Moses is a man of faith. He is highly favored by the grace of God in his life. And I want to tell you, every one of you who are believers in Christ, you are blessed tonight and highly favored. You have been chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the earth. And he loves you tonight. Here we have... Moses, a man of faith, choosing Christ over everything else. Do you know in ancient writings around the turn of the second century AD, there's writings that tell us that the aged Apostle John, who wrote John's Gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and uh, and the book of Revelation, that the aging Apostle John, after Patmos, he's released and he is in uh, Ephesus, The church Paul writes the letter to, the Ephesian church. And he's the pastor there and it's reckoned he's almost or around 100 years of age. And here he is still in love with Jesus. Do you know why John was still in love with the Lord Jesus? Because John was the one who lent at Jesus' breast at supper. John was the one who was close to him. In in other words, he was so close, he heard the heartbeat of God in his very ear. And if you can hear the heartbeat of God in your life, for you get so close to him in communion and fellowship and worship and praise and in prayer, then you will love the Lord Jesus Christ. John is almost a 100... Still loving the Lord Jesus. Christ is so fresh to his mind. Christ is so still fresh to his heart. The words Christ spoken are still ringing in his ears. He still has Christ. Jesus right in the forefront of his mind. Christ is the leader, the commander, and the captain of his life and salvation. And John is enthralled still at almost 100 years of age with Christ. And how quickly we fall out of love with him. And how quickly he becomes stale to our lives. And how quickly we take a back step when others want to shout us down and troubles come and we don't get our own way. How quickly Christ seems to diminish in our lives. John is here at almost 100 years of age. Loving him, loving the Lord Jesus. And it said he's so weak, he still wants to tell people of him. The people were told they gathered around where John was living, for he was so old and frail and weak, he no longer had the strength to preach long, and he no longer had the strength to even come out to see the people under his own power and under his own steam. And they bring him out, an agent, John, and we're told he, he preaches sometimes up to a four worded sermon. <laughs> and before you go any further, no, it's not going to happen here, okay? <laughs> A four worded sermon and a he come out and he said, Children, love one another. And they carry him back in again. End of sermon. The love of Christ constrains him as it constrains Paul. And the love of Christ constrains him as it should constrain you and constrain me. You know, the word to constrain really gives the idea to move you and turn you away from a natural position or digression and turn to him. And his love constrains him. The love of Christ for you should be that which draws you to him. The love of Jesus in our lives should be that which calls us, calls our heart to his heart from deep unto deep. And he comes and he preaches a four worded sermon carried back in again. Ask yourself the question in your love life how am I with the Lord Jesus? Do I love him? I mean, do I love him? You know, those who genuinely would hear John say those words, preach those words, be carried out to see him, for them, him to see them, those who were genuinely there with ears to hear and hearts to receive. Four words was enough because when he says that, they would know John was preaching God's word and God's will for their lives to be carried out in their lives. The Lord Jesus said in John 15, verses 12 and verse 17 twice, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Jesus didn't say, I want you to and I hope you do. He says, I command you to love one another. And John comes out and he just preaches the word with four words. Children love one another and it suffices for the heart. Listen to what a Puritan Thomas Adams once said. Many crowd to get into the church but make no room for the sermon to get into them. He said again, many crowd to get into the church, but make no room for the sermon to get into them. In other words, we can come to church. We're glad to see you. We mean that. And it's good to come to church. It's good to have that way with you, but it's getting the word of God into us. It's taking what God is saying, whether it be two words, four words, or a sermon that lasts all night like Paul preached. It's taking the word on board in our hearts and leaving pregnant with it. Chewing it over. The Holy Ghost searches all the deep inner recesses of our being. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's, it's deciphering from one thing to another all the things of our life. What about this? What about that? What about the other thing? And as love overwhelms you, you say, Lord, this means nothing to me. I choose Christ. Moses choose Christ I remember when I was sitting under my own pastor in Belfast and he used to preach and he just had a way of showing you Jesus and I remember sitting watching him and the word of God coming and every time I heard it whether it was a Bible study a morning service or an evening I couldn't wait to get out and go home and pray about it. I used to walk over the golf course and everywhere I went. I just thought about it. I got it on a CD or a tape it was at the time and I listened to it over and over and over again and I just wanted the word in me. Let the sermon, let the word of God as it were, get into you. Chew it as though you chew the cud. Four words. Listen to this. In Mark's Gospel chapter 10, we have the story of Blind Bartimaeus sitting at the roadside. And when you're blind, there's no social services to give you money. When you're blind, you're poor, you're destitute, you're down and you're out. And this man hears of Jesus is coming to town. This man hears the crowd cheering that Christ, the great King and Messiah is coming. He who is healing our sick and our loved ones and will set the captive free. Jesus is coming to town and blind Bartimaeus in the midst of this crowd he stands up with every ounce of faith and he cries, Jesus, thy son of David have mercy on me. They tell him to shut up. They tell him to be quiet. And he says, if I could only have him I have everything. He cries again. And there's a lovely line in verse 49. I'm walking through that crowd, the press of people gathering around the Lord. Out of it all, out of all the noise, of all the uproar and all the shouting, he hears the cry of faith from one man's heart. Jesus, my son of David, have mercy on me. And we're told... And Jesus stood still. You see, our prayers really touch the heart of the Lord. Jesus stood still in the midst of it all. He heard that one man. A short prayer. There's another instance in Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, when Peter and the disciples think they're sinking and drowning in the boat and the master walks out on the sea and the master bids him come to walk with him on the sea and as he walks on the sea, uh, Peter starts to sink for the wind and the waves become boisterous and start to gather around him. And as they gather around him, he's sinking down on one short prayer, a prayer in desperation and a prayer in need. He cries, Lord, save me! Save me, Lord. We're told Jesus, stretched forth his hand. Bless him. Put him into the boat. Notice what I'm trying to say. The attentiveness of the Savior. We see the room in the heart of Jesus and also how Christ understands the urgency of every request, whether long or short. Christ knows the urgency of the need of someone to be saved, and he will hear the faintest cry for someone to be helped, for he will hear the heartbeat of that man and woman. Christ understands the urgency in your life. So, what if all that was preached unto you was two words? Choose Christ. Would it be sufficient to say, Lord, you have spoken. I choose you over everyone. Lord, you have spoken. I choose you over everything. Lord, you have spoken. I choose you over myself. Choose Christ tonight. To choose Christ means to choose life. To choose Christ means to choose the eternal over the temporal. To choose Christ is to see in him what others don't see. Say it again. To choose Christ is to choose in him what others don't see. And to choose Christ is even to see in him what other Christians don't see. What about in Matthew 16 when the Lord says, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they give them a string of, of prophets and their names. And John the Baptist is thrown in there just to make a New Testament good measure. And then he says, But whom say ye that I am? Peter saw in him something that even his brethren didn't see. Something that others didn't see. Something that the crowd didn't see. He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are, Jesus. You are deity in flesh. He saw the eye of faith. Jesus said, blessed. How highly favored are you, Peter? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. What about John chapter 6? When others would leave him for saying spiritual matters that would go deeper, than the carnality, fleshy mind of those who followed him for the sake of religion's sake and for the sake of belly's sake and for the sake of feeding's sake and for the sake of what they can get and good living's sake. Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood and they turn away with all of their, all of their religiosity. Oh, we're not allowed to do that for the law says we're not to drink any blood or eat another's flesh. You walk away and leave him. See when the spirit comes. The Lord says the words that I speak unto you they are spirit. And they're life, not literal. Body and blood, they're spirit. Will he also go away? Here's a question for you friend. Will he also go away? Peter looks to him and says, To whom else will we go, Lord? For thou hast the words of eternal life. What do you go to after Christ? How do you turn from him? Where do you go to? Who do you go to? What do you go to after Jesus? The world again? There's nothing there. For thou hast the words of eternal life, Lord. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like the Lord. Hebrews 11, verse 24, says, by faith Moses. Moses saw by faith and believed God through faith that God said what he meant and meant what he said. Moses saw God's covenant promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Moses saw looking into the future that God who keeps his covenants and his promises will surely bring the Messiah, the Redeemer, the prophet like unto him that would come. And he stretched his faith for what lay ahead of him. And you know sometimes you can't see and I can't see farther than the end of our notice. But faith, faith in our Lord tells us, keep looking ahead. I have a plan and I have a purpose for you and your life. Moses could say, but Lord, what is it? He says, you trust in me and I will bring it to pass. Moses believed in the covenant promises. He believed in his inheritance. He believed it was in the word of God. Even he looked at his wonderful palatial surroundings in Pharaoh's Egypt compared to Israel's Goshen. I want to explain that. Let me say it again. Moses looked around his palatial Egypt. He looked around at Pharaoh's palaces. He looked around at the bedchambers. He looked at everything that he could ever want and the big temples to worship in and he looked at it, even maybe even a pyramid for a grave, who knows? He looked across the land to Israel and Israel's Goshen, the area where they live was by the Nile. That's the place where Joseph went to to meet his father, Jacob, when he came. That's the place that said that Sarah owned that area. Abraham's wife. And that's where they settled, where the faith of their fathers were. You know what's wrong with us in our nation? We have lost the faith of our fathers. And Moses even though his mother saw it in him, it says that Moses, he looked at his palatial palace and he's seen Israel's goshen, God's real kingdom. And as he looks to it, he chooses the Christ of the kingdom and the Pharaoh of Egypt. You might say, What foolishness or craziness is this to leave all, to yield all, to give all, to surrender all, and to put your faith in what seems to be a cancelled covenant or a paralyzed promise or a hopeless heritage? Here's a question for you What's of more value to your choice? One million pounds. A new Ferrari or a parachute? Let me say it again. When you weren't expecting it, you were on a plane that was going to crash. What is more valuable to you? One million pounds. A new Ferrari or your parachute? Might not need my Parachute because we want the million pounds we want the Ferrari God has given us excuse the expression Lord the parachute of our salvation in Christ for you're going to need it you just don't understand the value of it if you understood the value of it and what lies ahead of every one of us should our Lord tarry You're going to need it. Listen, Israel's Goshen and the plagues, we know the plagues when Moses came and all the plagues that surrounded the area. Listen to this. I'll just skip through this briefly. In Exodus chapter 8 we have the plague of the flies. You know the, the, the ten plagues that come on Egypt. We have the plague of the flies. Do you know Beelzebub is called Lord of the Flies? The Lord of the Flies. And there's a plague of flies. You see, all the gods of all those plagues, they were all Egypt's gods. And God was saying, they're your gods. I'll show you who the real, one, true, and living God is. The God of Israel. Listen to this. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 22, the Lord says, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen. In which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there, to the end that thou mayst know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. You know what we're told? We're told that there were no flies in Goshen. The flies in Egypt were like the dust thrown into the air. The people were tormented with them. The people were at alive as it were with them. But Israel's Goshen, there wasn't a fly. I wonder what the end of things and judgment comes and our salvation, our salvation will have us in Israel's Goshen. For the devil, though bales above the Lord of the flies, has no authority. He has no draw. He has no purpose in the life of a child of God. But there will be others, sadly, who will be in a worse fate than in the plagues of Egypt. Chapter 9, God smites the cattle, but none of Israel dies. God sends hail in chapter 9 as well. Listen to this, verse 26 says, Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. Can you imagine that? God says the heel will fall everywhere. See there, clouds? Don't drop them. That's my people. How much more today, under this new covenant through the blood of Jesus, are we under the protection of Almighty God? Think about these things. Exodus 10, a plague of thick darkness. Verse 23 says... They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. See, the darkness, it was so thick, it gives the idea that if you put your hand before your face at the end of your nose, they wouldn't have known it was there. They felt the darkness of hell at them. But in Israel's Goshen, they sat in light that God had given them. Moses, what a great choice. He looked ahead by faith and he chose Christ. Hebrews 11, verse 27 says, And this must be choosing Christ by imputed faith, the drawing of God, God putting himself upon Moses, all by grace. And Moses saw him, and at the end of verse 27 says, He endured as seeing him, who is invisible. How do you see someone when they're invisible? With the eye of faith. God is invisible. He may be to you, but I see him everywhere I go. With the eye of faith, we see him move. We see his hand. We see his blessing. Let me just show you about blinded eyes for a moment. First Kings 17 and 1. Elijah walks in to Ahab's palace and Ahab is looking to slay a man like Elijah. And Elijah walks in and says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. No, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there not, shall not be June or rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah says, Ahab, you're right in front of me. Ahab, I see you with my carnal eyes. I see you with 20, 20 vision. I'm looking at you, Ahab, but really I'm conscious that I am before the living God. He is more real to me than you are to me. That's where you need to be in your walk with Christ. For see when your loved one leaves you, You see, when your family go home and you shut the door and you're on your own, or see when you're out somewhere and you're on your own in a park or a field or a golf course, as I said, or wherever, He is always there. Always there. I have too much material. I rounded up with this, and well, I can always use the material some other time. Look what it says in Hebrews 11:26 of Moses. Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ, esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. You know what the idea is. Moses looked at the palace, the soldiers. Their temples, their worship, he looked at all the riches and the gold, even the slaves he could have. He looked at it all, and he looked at Israel's goshen and as he turned around, he wetted up, faith told him, "You might have this now, Moses, but you're going to need to be over there." Moses said, "It's Christ for me." He endured us seeing him. He was invisible. Can you see him tonight? I mean, you're not used to hearing things like that, but in your heart, and your mind, you see Christ. He who hung and bled and died on the cross for you. Thomas Adams said of faith, listen to what he said, it is the office of faith to believe what we do not see. It is the reward of faith to see what we do believe. Said again you get it into you it is the office of faith to believe what we do not see it is the reward of faith to see what we do believe and if you can see him tonight even though he's invisible in your heart by faith you know what we're saying is real and true and right and you're not right with christ it will be the reward when you get born again of the spirit The reward of what you do not see. And by the way, we should also be like that when we're praying for the sick. We can't see it, but we believe it, so we pray it and see God do it. And the reward is that he is the same. I'll not embarrass anybody, but I got another healing testimony and today. It was fantastic from the tent. Another one, they're still coming in. puffed out <laughs> John Trapp said it is the nature of faith to believe God upon his bare word it will not be saith sense it cannot be saith reason it both can and will be saith faith for I have a promise for it it says when Moses was come to years let's read this and this is me finished Verse 24, by faith, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect, respect unto the recompense of award, reward. See he here when it says, when he was come to years, gives the idea, in fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, he was around at the time, just after our Lord's death, and he's seen the AD 70, the temple destruction and the wars of the Jews, he writes all those things. But Josephus, the Jewish historian, he writes about this, and he says it gives the idea that Moses, that child whom his parents knew was special and called of God. It says when he realized the promise that was in him, that every time that the Pharaoh's daughter came and set a garland upon his head, a crown of Egypt upon his head, even as a child he took it off and he threw it on the ground. But he was under their charge, he was under their control, and there's nothing legally, as it were, he could do about it until he became grown up and mature in age and in faith. And it says when they put it on him, he put it down once and for all, chose Christ, and went out of Egypt. Here's what I wrote. Many Christians are not come to years yet of a spiritual maturity for they have no vision of Christ and his kingdom and they choose to live with the pleasures of this world at the expense of communion with Christ and his service in his kingdom. Many like to wear and to hold on to the diadem of Egypt just to be politically correct or to fit in with the crowd, to have respectability, because they never fully left Egypt and became separate, single-minded, fixed, and focused on Christ. The older or the more mature you get in the Lord, the diadem of the world should not fit your head. As you grow Diadem should not fit your head. That is the diadem of the word. Paul says, Second Timothy four and eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love His appearing. Is appearing as his epiphany on Christ. The skies roll back like a scroll. We are righteous in him. And he comes to crown it off. The changing of this body. This body, this mortal coil will be changed into an immortal coil. This corruptible shall put on incorruption and we shall be like him. Choose Christ. Choose Christ. Choose Israel's Goshen, for you're going to need it. Christian, choose Christ. Throw down the diadem of Egypt, and take on the crown of righteousness for Christ. For His name's sake, we ask Him. God bless us tonight. Can your pen drop? Now. Gary, come on up. Meet us. <coughs> Bless his name.
1: Could you put the words up to draw me close to you, please? out again, to hear you say that I'm your friend, that you are my desire, no one else will do. Nothing else can take your place but feel the feel warmth of your embrace. So help me find a way to bring me back to you. You're all I want Draw me close to you, and never let me go. I lay it all down again. my desire, no one else will do, cause nothing else can take your place, to feel the warmth of your Thank you lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend You are my desire No one else will do take your place, to feel the warmth of your embrace, so help me find a way to bring me back to you.
0: for us but if you're not sure of your salvation stand at the door see me see someone else before you go home talk to us we'll love to tell you about the saviour if you're concerned in any way or maybe you just need direction come and see us and talk to us may the lord bless you Andrew please.